As always, I am joined alongside my two co-hosts, Luke Burrows and uh, Nick Robinson. Uh, we have a lot to cover today, but before we get to that, please remember to download both the Barnburner and Zingo TV app available on both iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire and Fire TV Sticks, Roku and Roku Sticks, also on all smart TVs 2016 and forward. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Good, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, it's impossible not to be uh, pretty hyped for the show post-draft, so I'm doing pretty well. Pat, I know you're doing good too. I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine post-draft. I'm not, I'm not doing great post-draft, but I'm doing fine. Um, pretty hectic week, a lot of trades, a lot of signings. Um, let's just let's jump right into it. Let's talk about the initial draft. Obviously, um, Luke, you might feel a little outside of this conversation because your team wasn't too active, but for Nick and I... Um, Pretty busy, and I want to start with the the winners of the NHL draft, and I'll start with asking you guys: Who do you guys think uh, came out on top with uh, with this NHL draft? Uh, obviously, you know it's it's always hard to say right in the moment who won the draft. You know, a draft is something that takes you know probably two three years to see where everybody's prospects are at and sort of analyze. Uh, what the players are doing for that organization. But obviously uh, there are some teams that definitely jump out. I think the LA Kings definitely, in my opinion, at least had the best draft. Uh, Quentin Byfield at number two is the big standout, but uh, depth wise, they did very well in the later rounds. And, you know, it's hard always to call teams that pick high. It's hard to say they're not winners because obviously the Rangers for me, just them getting Lafreniere in itself is a big win. Uh, I'm probably a bit biased. I put the Senators in there because you're adding a third overall pick in Tim Stutzla and a fifth overall pick in Jake Sanderson. I think that's a massive win, despite the debate and how they did in the later rounds. Uh, Carolina, Toronto, both did solid considering their draft position. So that would be the winning cast for me, Pat. I know you probably have more thoughts on that than Luke would. Yeah, yeah, I think I think L.A. definitely. L.A. Ad, adds to an already stacked pool. And we can talk about Ottawa a little bit later on. I thought they, the Stutzel pick was a gimme. That was obvious. And then the Sanderson pick, that's fine. But it's more the Grieg and the Clevin picks that we can talk about later where there's definitely some debate there about if they did the right thing. Um, Toronto and I, this kind of talk, we can get into this later about sort of how, how teams envision uh, sort of what their, what their outlook is for the draft. And you can kind of see the difference in a lot of teams. And this sort of outlined it perfectly how, Toronto, Carolina are very forward-thinking analytical GMs, and this ties into our conversation last week, who are always going to take the skill. And then you see a team like Montreal, who kind of mixes it, but tends to go um, tends to go more for size and grit, and that's sort of been the theme under Mark Bergevin. Luke, I want to ask you, because I know the big pick that Vancouver made, they didn't have a pick till the third round, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. And they picked Yoni Yermo, uh, left-handed defenseman, <laughs> Swedish. Um are you happy with that pick? Or do you think that's a positional lead well, from what you know? I mean, yeah, like to be honest, I I never heard of the guy before they drafted him. Um, but like, yeah, yesterday, like I didn't. Well, I did watch it on um, when or whenever round one was. But yesterday, like I I didn't really pay too much attention. It's kind of it's tough when they only have like a, a three, four, five, six or something. But yeah, from what I can tell, that's a that's a good pickup. And from the reactions I'm seeing, it seems like a good pickup. From from my perspective, I like I like a defense uh, in general. I I don't know, you know, projecting that two three years down the line, how well that will apply. But like I'm I'm pretty content with that. But in general, as a Vancouver fan, um, 
not too concerned. Uh, you know, didn't pay pay too much attention to yesterday. More more so on expecting Benning to to do something non um, non selection wise, which he hasn't. Um, so we'll we'll see today. I mean, I know we'll get into that shortly, but I. You know, Oliver Ekman Larson might might break on this show. It's it's gonna happen today if it's gonna happen. So that's more so what I've been paying attention to. Well, hopefully that's the case. And I know that's sort of been the talk around Vancouver. Um, we'll get into the draft itself and the process of the draft, and we can talk about how the NHL handled it, how Sportsnet handled it. Um, as far as losers go, um, I would. Well, the the funny one was Columbus and Shinikov and the fact that he was actually woken up uh, and they had him in their top 10 apparently. Um, but let's just, instead of going into Boston and Pittsburgh, let's talk about Ottawa, Nick, what would you grade their draft year? Um, is it a win? Is it a loss? If you were to give it a, a letter, uh, what would that be? Sorry. That's for the senators. Yes. Uh, I, I would give it a B because I think they definitely filled two massive needs in the organization. They've rounded out their prospect pool really well here. Uh, Tim Stutzla is a player of quality that they previously did not have in that pool. He, at least to me on the surface, it looks like he's going to be a dynamic offensive player in the NHL and he may be able to step in as early as next season. That's really, really exciting for senators fans and, you know, Jake Sanderson is a pretty divisive player. We talked a lot about it with Rain Hernandez on last week's show heading into the draft. There are maybe those that are more analytically inclined that don't like Jake Sanderson so much, but uh, at least the reaction from Sportsnet, uh, who was covering the draft here in Canada, uh, was overwhelmingly positive for the Senators, and they seem to like the direction the team is heading in with those two picks. So I, at the very least, I would give Ottawa a win just based on what they need, uh, what they needed. And it's hard to lose when you're drafting in those high spots. So overall, I think it's an exciting time for Ottawa and they did well here. Patrick, I'll throw the same question back to you. Then what would you grade Montreal's performance for the weekend? Um, I'm going to give it a C plus, And I don't think that's that bad of a grading, all things considered. Um, Honestly, the worst part of the night was the Leafs flipping over the jersey and saying Amirov. Amirov is who I wanted Montreal to get for quite some time. And all the talk was about Toronto getting Braden Schneider. And I was really hoping that would have been the case. Um, but then I also thought it would have been just as worse if Amirov was available and Montreal still went with Caden Gooley. Uh, from an organizational standpoint, it doesn't really make sense to pick Caden Gooley when you have Romanov and Norlander and Struble, who in my mind are all better options. Romanov is probably the best all-around defense when they have in the system. Norlander has the most upside. Struble probably has more upside. The only thing with Gouli is he probably has a safer floor, but um, it seemed like Montreal was past the need to get a bunch of left defensemen, especially after signing Sherrod Edmondson, having these players in the system. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, Dawson Mercer was right there. Jacob Perot, a lot of dynamic offensive forwards who I would have loved Montreal to get. Um, but I think the Jan Mishak pick in the <clears> second <throat> round, who I actually had as a first round talent, I think that sort of even things out. So I, it looks bad if they picked Gooley first, but if they picked Meshack at 16 and then picked Gooley at 48, I'd probably grade it better. So it really, it, it evens out, but I'd say a C plus it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, I think I did, there was definitely some version of influence in this draft, in my opinion, the way they typically, you know, the past couple of years have drafted skill. They drafted Caulfield and Elonen and Norland are a lot of high upside um, skill-based players. And it just seemed like there was a bit of a shift this year, drafting all American bigger players who were tough. So um there's still potential with those players, but I'll, I'd give it a, I'd give it a C plus. 
Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely completely agree with you on that. And, you know, there definitely was a bit of a shift in philosophy, at least with Montreal this year. Um, perhaps Mark Bergevin, again, coming with that sort of narrow focus on just trying to project or sorry, project and draft safe players that are for sure going to make the NHL, which I know a lot of people complained uh, about Ottawa about because, you know, we haven't even mentioned their third pick in the first round, which was Ridley Gregg. Again, late birthday, he was one of the younger players in the draft. And, you know, some people are saying he may have enough offense to be a 2C, but that's probably still a pick. I think I would have liked to see the Senators swing for the fences on. Um, but uh, Ridley Gregg, nonetheless, it seems like he'll be at least an NHL player, which is, uh, you know, at 20th, 20th overall in the draft is as good as you can get. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about the draft itself. Let's talk about, we all knew it would be different. It would be remote. Um, I didn't watch the NFL draft, but everyone said, oh, we expect it to be somewhat similar. Um, I thought they did their best. The one thing... Luke, I'll start with you. Did you not find it like unbelievably slow? Do you think if it's remote like this, if they're not on the floor, they're not in a busy environment, they're not talking to other GMs, why run the clock? And the fact that it was yeah. five minutes, it just seemed too long. But the thing is like, yes, it was slow. And it, it's especially slow when you don't get to watch the floor like you usually do. That's like, a, that's a really interesting part of the two yeah. draft days that you usually get to watch. But I'm not surprised they didn't, they didn't make a change just because it was virtual. I think they, they would want to keep it as close to the original system and the original product that, that they had. So yeah, it wasn't as entertaining and it was a lot more kind of monotonous than, than you're usually watching. But I, I honestly think that's just, that comes with doing the draft virtually. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know how they would have kind of explained because it's virtual, we're giving you less time and teams, I will say teams, like there's no need to, to run it like sometimes run the clock like they would sometimes, but no, I'm, yeah, it was slower, but I, I, I don't see a way around that. I think that's just a part of, of doing the way they did and, and just, you know, presentation in general, I thought it was done really well for, you know, the cards they were dealt. I think it was, it was as good as it could have been. Obviously it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, as entertaining as it usually is, but, but for what it was, I, I thought it was good. I guess that, that, the first round, I think at times they were running the clock, but the first round was relatively smooth. But I, looking more towards the second round, like the second round, rounds two through seven, um, I believe the exact time was seven hours and 32 minutes. That's painstakingly long. It's too like, long. Like, yeah. It's too long. And I, like, I guess, do you not think it could have been shortened a little bit? It, it's like, yes, the draft, five, six rounds of a draft should not take that long. But I just think... I, I don't expect them to change the system and change the rules because they're going virtual. So I just think that's a part of doing the draft virtually. People are saying, what, what are you doing NHL? This is too long when I think it's just, yeah, it was long because, because first of all, it's the first time they've done it this way. And I think that just, that just goes along with, with a virtual draft. So ideally like they've done every other year when they get back into an arena and they have the draft floor, I think it'll go back to normal and you know, people won't have any issue with it, which is fine. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, you know what? I actually did appreciate um, a lot of the things that Sportsnet and the NHL Network did under the circumstances they had. I really enjoyed the living room reactions from each family. I thought that was really well done. Uh, it was 
it sucks, obviously, for some of the European players. Like, I think when Tim Stutzler was picked by Ottawa, it was about 2 in the morning in Germany there. Uh, by the way, I think we do have to touch on that. Yes. Alex Trebek making the pick for the Ottawa Senators at number 3 was definitely the highlight of the entire night for me. I thought that was excellently done. Like, that was – I've never seen a pick like that. Mm. I don't think we'll ever see a pick quite like that again. But, uh, wow, I don't know if you got it. What did you guys think of that? I thought it was, it was a nice cause everyone was, it's a change of pace. Um, I think the only two teams that really did something different would have been Tor- Toronto, I guess, after Ottawa with the Jersey flip, but even then. Well, a few Tor- teams, a few teams had someone come in. I like yeah. Yossi, Yossi in Nashville. Yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, and I, I will add on to that Toronto. I thought Toronto's presentation was pretty funny. You have Marner up there <laughs> and Riley standing awkwardly over his shoulder. Um, I, I laughed at that more than I, more than I appreciated this one, but this yeah, one was, that, that, that was, was pretty, that was pretty awkward. I, I'm not sure what exactly was going I, on because they use the, they, they use the full five minutes. Right. And then it sort of cut because Bettman did have to say Toronto, you can either make an announcement or I think uh, Marner and Riley were in, like, you could tell Riley knew what he looked like. He's just standing there awkwardly in the background and Marner had the smirk on his face. I thought it was really funny. I, I think, think the other one on too, purpose. I think it was the Anaheim Ducks had uh, their assistant GM making the pick and then they had two masked people standing behind him. So it almost looked like a scene from like a Saw movie, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't more. know. I, I wish we did see more of that, like what the Senators did, which is I think the first time I'm ever saying something that the NHL should copy the Senators on. But I'm surprised more teams didn't take advantage of the online format and try and have some fun with these picks because that's completely what it was with the senators. They had a lot of fun with it. It was something new, something fresh. I know LA had at one point discussed sending Will Ferrell as Ron Burgundy to the draft lottery process, which obviously got canceled after COVID, but I'm surprised they didn't try to incorporate him in some way because if he announced Quentin Byfield, that would have been pretty cool. But uh, I did appreciate that some teams at least tried to have players come in and make some of the picks that looked presentation wise. It was pretty good that way. Yeah. I thought all things considered the NHL did a pretty good job. Um, I, 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 I wish the rights were still for TSN to cover the draft. Their draft coverage has always been exceptional, but I thought given the circumstances Sportsnet did an excellent job and um I think it was just more rounds two through seven where it was like excruciatingly long. And, you know, sometimes there were GMs ready at the podium, but it almost seemed like the clock was less for the GMs to figure out their pick or figure out a trade and more to fill the time that the on-air talent needed. Because a lot of times, like I know for Montreal's pick, Bergevin was standing at the podium for two minutes, just ready to go. And Sam Cosentino and them were talking and they wrote out the time. So maybe that's what it was for, but um, nonetheless, it was an exciting draft. And now we can sort of get on to some other stuff. Now that that's over. We can talk about some of the trades that happened prior to the draft. We can talk about free agency. And that's sort of what this show is about is teeing up the next couple of days. Cause this has really been a hectic week and we knew it would be like this when the NHL get a lot that, crazier. Yeah. That free agency, um, the draft and the buyout period are all within the same week. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Let's start with the Nashville Predators. Uh, they're making moves. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, I didn't think they had, they should do anything. I thought they should stay pat. I still think they have a good team, but obviously uh, that's not the case. And they started off by trading. Um, I had the exact trade, but I think someone deleted it off the dock. But let's start with the. I'm gonna start with Kyle Turris. Um, 
un unconditional waivers for the purpose of a buyout. This caught me by surprise. I was not expecting this to happen. Um, you know, he was just acquired a couple years ago in that trade with Ottawa. What do you guys think, Luke? I mean, with 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 everything Nashville did has done over the past few days, it it makes sense. Um, Kyle Turris, he's not old, but he's not young, um, and I think Nashville's kind of shown, uh, especially with that trade that we will get to shortly. Uh, they're yeah, they're they're kind of transitioning now. Probably not not a full out you know teardown. No need to do that, I would say. But they're clearly transitioning. Um, I. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking. I'm looking at the heat maps here. That's that's uh, his sorry. impacts have cooled off to say yeah, the least. I, that's, uh, that's a lot worse than I thought. I would not have expected that. Um, yeah. So I yeah I don't I don't hate that. That makes sense for what Nashville is doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Take it from somebody who watched Kyle Terrace for as many years as I did. Um, you know, defensive hockey was never quite his strength, but at least he was pretty good offensively always for the senators. And he was that early on in his Nashville tenure, but quite frankly, just bringing in Kyle Terrace has never truly been a fit. I don't think for Nashville, it hasn't worked out the way they thought it would. Um, and he's really gotten moved down the pipeline because now they've got, uh, he's really been playing bottom six now since they brought in Duchesne last summer. He is not a third line center. I think he needs to be playing probably with some better players higher up in the lineup for him to truly succeed. And I don't think they're putting him in a position to succeed the way they had him. Obviously his impacts haven't been great at either end of the ice. And he's really, really, really struggled over the past year or so, but this is the type of player that I think somebody's going to take a shot on for a very, very small amount of money and it's going to pay off massively. I can totally see that. So uh, obviously Kyle Terrace, we, I wish the best for him and he, he's a great person, great player, and mm -hmm. hopefully he can turn his career around. But, you know, one goal in 23 playoff games for Nashville was clearly never going to work out the way they thought it did. Yeah. So I guess the trade was in the dock because I just saw Nick highlight it. Uh, but they also uh, sent away Nick Benino um, to the Minnesota Wild um, with pick 37 and 70 for Luke Coonan and pick 101. Um, I like the addition of Luke Coonan for Nashville. I think he's a strong defensive center. I know people were expecting a little bit more upside. He was a fairly high pick, I believe, uh, mid-20s or at least late teens, if I remember correctly. But Again, I don't really like this for Nashville. David Poyle, who GM, GM of the year a couple of years ago, seems to be making some sort of erratic moves and maybe reactionary moves from, from this, uh, this sort of failed playoff run. But um, to me, it seems a little bit excessive. It seems a little bit reactionary. And I think you're getting rid of Benino, who's one of, the, one of the stronger defensive third line centers in the league. You're getting rid of two relatively high picks in 37 and 70, and you get a third line center and a late or in a pick 101. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, Luke, what are your thoughts on this trade? Initial reaction was I, I really didn't like it for Nashville, but honestly, I don't, I don't hate it after, after looking at it. Um, <clears throat> probably could have kind of played it a bit better. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're getting what you're getting Coonan, nothing, nothing against him. Um, but you, you probably could have kind of played that better. I don't know. I don't know if the 37th had to be there, uh, but I don't hate it. Like, uh, like I said, the, the trade makes sense for the direction Nashville is going. A lot of people might not agree that they need to be doing this now, but 
clearly he's uh, Poyle's made the decision. This is the direction they're going. So if if that's what they're doing, I it makes sense. Um, they probably lost the trade, but it's not it's not like it's not like like I said my initial reaction where I really hated it for Nashville. It's and honestly, it could be one of those trades where both teams ends up winning. So, all right, Nick, what do you think? I guess I'm on the contrary. I hate this for Nashville. I don't understand it. Like, I really don't understand this for Nashville. Nick Benino is an excellent third line center pivot. And I don't get it, especially because of the buyout for Turris. I just think that would have made a lot of sense if they moved on from Turris and then Benino naturally maintained his role at the third line center position behind Duchesne and Johansson. I thought that would have made a lot of sense for Nashville. I really like this for Minnesota Luke Cunnan, I don't think very much of him at all here. I'm sorry for the heat map spam, but I'm going to pull it up again because this was actually one of the more hilarious ones I've ever seen, judging by the fact that he is horrendous value on even strength offense, even strength defense, power play, and penalty kill, especially the penalty kill, uh, for those of you that can see that. But uh, I don't know. I don't think very much of Cunnan at all. I would have definitely wanted more if I was Nashville. I like this for Minnesota. That's probably the first good uh, move they've made of the offseason so far. I know we talked about them a lot a couple of shows ago, and they've made maybe some questionable ones. But replacing Eric Stahl with Nick Benino, at least on the surface, seems like it can be an okay thing for Minnesota. So I like it for them. I I just think I think Cunning he's he's going to turn into basically what Benino is. At you know I would I would say maybe that's even. What, sorry, what Benino is now, I would say that's probably his floor. I don't, I don't like player for player in this trade. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'll reiterate, like I've said, especially if Nashville is making the decision to kind of get younger, not rebuild, but definitely get younger. Um, I don't see that, that wide of a gap between these two players at all. Yeah, it, no matter what Cunnan is right now, Pittsburgh has the ability to make very bad players very good suddenly. Um, who knows, Cunnan now could be thrusted into a position where he's not heavily relied upon like he would be in Minnesota. He could very easily end up on a wing of either Crosby's or Malkin's, and that usually works wonders for... I don't know why I thought they'd trade with Pittsburgh all of a sudden. I was really confused. I really got <laughs> swung off target there. I started thinking about Nick Benino in Pittsburgh. That's All right, okay. skip me, skip me. We're gonna we're gonna come back to me something later. <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought there. That's okay. Let's. Uh, well, we can still talk about the Minnesota Wild, and we can talk about another trade, and that is Ryan Donato and Devin Dubnik to San Jose for a third round pick. Um, since we already talked about the whole Benino and the picks they accumulated, let's talk about this one. Um, I'll throw this in there because uh, Nick and I made the mistake of letting Luke uh, have access to the Google Doc. It's not usually his domain. Um, he said, would you have confidence in Stalock to start? Because I wouldn't. Guy got shelled by Petey in the gang. I think Minnesota needs a new goalie. So um, regardless of what Luke decides to put in the dock, um, it's sort of a weird one. Um, Devin Dubnik has had has played some pretty inconsistent hockey throughout his career in Minnesota. Uh, he, as a former Montreal Canadian, I don't mind him as a, as a player, but this seems kind of weird. Uh, I don't know how well he's going to play in San Jose. What do you guys think of this move? Yeah, I think I'll get the teams right this time. Um, <laughs> you know what's better than one goalie with an 890 save percentage, Pat? It's two one. of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't understand what San Jose is doing. I think everybody and their mother knows that they need an upgrade in net, and this certainly isn't it. 
with the amount of goalies that there's going to be on the market, and we're going to talk a lot about that later on, there's so many goalies on the UFA market this year. I don't understand why they chose Dubnik via a trade. I like the Donato pickup. I think that's actually pretty solid. And what it's what San Jose needs, just a bit more depth scoring. And I think Donato can develop into a decent player for them. The Dubnik pickup, I don't understand it at all. And I think this is a good move for Minnesota to get out from that contract because now they have the freedom to go and take advantage of the open market with the amount of goalies that we're seeing on it and try and upgrade that position for themselves. So again, I really like this for Minnesota, but I sort of really don't understand it for San Jose. I don't hate it. Um, I, and then I'll speak strictly on, on Minnesota. I don't hate it for Minnesota, both of them. Um, like it, it makes sense, but I think you have to consider what you're, what you're leaving behind and yes, I made that statement in the doc, but look, like I don't stay like he's not a, he's not a bad goalie. He he's shown he can be good and he probably can, can be a starter, but he has not at all established himself yet. I think it's a bit now, and this is all assuming, you know, Minnesota's just staying put with where they are, which if we're being real, they're probably not. Um, but stay he can be a starter. Uh, but he's not yet. I don't, I think most people would agree. He's not, um, he was, he was a big factor in the Vancouver series. There was a lot of talk about, you know, how he would play. And I don't think, I don't think, uh, I think he was kind of over, over, not overhyped, but over discussed. I bet. I just think he might get there. He, he still needs some time to establish himself and Minnesota. Hopefully I just, I don't think it would be a good idea for Minnesota to be relying on him this year, maybe next year too. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. It's seen, the, the weirdest thing to me is the urgency to get Devin Dubnik. Um, like I said, Devin Dubnik's stats are a little bit all over the place. I do think he has the ability to play uh, some pretty solid hockey. And just a couple of years ago, we thought he was one of the better starters in the league. And I think a lot of this, and maybe this year would have to do with more with Minnesota playing so well defensively, but him still playing so poorly. That's my only guess. But I think there's still potential um, with Devin Dubnik, although having a 335 uh, goals against average this season is not great, but um, we'll see what San Jose does. Obviously San Jose, we were all expecting them to be better this year. Um, and that obviously didn't happen, but um, let's talk about Minnesota a little bit. They were, when I guess they still are a mediocre team and they have been for quite some time. They've had a weird off season, the Eric Stahl trade, and then they acquire Nick Benino, who in a way they're kind of similar players. Um, I don't really, I, I think they drafted well, but I'm, I'm having a hard time sort of looking at the outlook of this team and which way they're trying to go because they get a similar player in Eric Stahl and Nick Benino. They ship out younger players, but they also get younger in other areas. What do you guys think uh, of what the Minnesota Wild are doing right now? Yeah, it goes back to that first trade, which was the Stahl-Johansson move that didn't make a lot of sense. Now they've shipped out Donato, who is a younger player. Don't get it there. I like the Dubnik move, getting out from under that, but... I really don't know what direction Bill Guerin's trying to take this team in. And maybe it'll become more clear tomorrow with free agency opening up to see what he does now that they've got some cap space. But it's very, very difficult to tell what exactly the plan is in the state of hockey because there's been no clear path or correlation in any of these moves, at least from what I can see. Yeah, I like I think I'd agree with that. I think 
Minnesota, like they seem to be kind of, kind of going in a direction, but you know, if you, if you kind of split up their, their goaltending, their, their defense core, their, their forwards, they all kind of seem to be at different levels along the process. And a lot of the decisions they're making don't seem to kind of sync up with, with um, a, the direction they seem to be generally heading and b the direction they should be heading. Um, so like, I don't know, it's, it's tricky to kind of make a decisive final um, final argument now because it's going to take, you know, it's going to take some time uh, whenever we get through this season to see, to see if the moves they are making are actually pushing them in the right direction. But from what you can, I think, and I think we're all in agreement from what you can see now, it's, it's seems kind of scattered to me. Yeah. um, I, I thought the way they, they drafted sort of put things into perspective, but then obviously seeing the trades they've made, um, we had the Boston Bruins in here, but I'm looking at the rundown now, and I'm not sure if we are going to talk about this specific. Uh, we won't talk we about Rasket. We are no, not going to not. talk about that thing. But let's talk about Oliver Ekman Larson because Krug on the way out, apparently, or supposedly he's going to take a, a big paycheck somewhere else. Oliver Ekman Larson, we talked about if his trade could be, if the trade could be broken on this show if he goes to Vancouver, but Boston's also been apparently a contender for him. Um, and they've been in the talks with him. And, and we know Boston loves big names. We know big names want to go to Boston and play there. Um, do you guys think that's a good option for Boston? And if he, if he is still an option, do you think that, that one makes sense? We've talked about it the past couple of shows because Ekman Larson's name has been out there now for a while. I still don't see the sense in Boston doing this. I think if they just want to splash cash on a defenseman, you're better off just re-signing Tory Krug or – trying to move some more money around and entice Alex Petrangelo as opposed to bringing in $8 million worth of Oliver Ekman Larson, who is a very overrated player in my mind. And I think Patrick agrees with me on that one. I think if he goes to Boston, it's a good thing for you, Luke and Vancouver, because that would be dodging a bullet in my mind. So, well, so apparently it like, it looks like he's not going to Boston. Um, that's just kind of been swirling in the past few days. Boston doesn't like the asking price, which um, I kind of wish Vancouver would, would make that <laughs> stance as well. But um, yeah, so he said by 9 a.m. or uh, 12 p.m. tomorrow, what, whatever time he said, he's uh, like the trade needs to happen by then or, um, or he's, he's sticking, you know, not, not doing anything. Uh, so by 9 a.m. tomorrow, really, if, if there's no, by tonight, sorry, by tonight, if there's no trade, he's staying. So it's going to, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in the next seven hours, 10, eight hours. So I, that, that kind of bodes well, I think for, for how I feel about it, that it's probably not going to happen. Um, I don't really want it to now. I know we're going to get into um, the likes of Stroy, Te- Stroy, Troy Stetcher uh, in a bit here. And Big what call. that kind of means for for Vancouver's defense, I don't really think that has too much effect on Ekman Larson. But regardless, there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more solid talks coming from Vancouver, it seems, than a team like Boston. So for better or for worse, it, like it seems like they're pretty serious. Uh, but the thing is, I haven't really heard I haven't really heard anything about who potentially is going the other way. So I don't really know what to expect. Uh, I thought maybe some moves would be made yesterday that would kind of foreshadow 
or I thought maybe the move would be made yesterday, but it wasn't. Um, so I don't know. It's, you know, nine hours. We'll see. But perhaps me, at least, Pedersen hopefully. going the other way. I think so. I think Pedersen, Besser, <laughs> Hughes, Demko, and Markstrom. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Luke, you do sound pretty nervous about this. Would, uh, depending on the price, would you be okay? Like, let's say, let's say it was a relatively fair trade and let's say they didn't overpay. And let's say he oh, was yeah. on, a, on a secondary role behind Hughes, or at least for whatever reason played on the right side. Would you be, would you be okay with, with that addition? Yeah. Like, yes. Uh, I, yes. Uh, like there's, there's a lot of scenarios where I'd be fine with it. Um, it's, it's interesting. Vancouver's defense are in an interesting position. We'll see what happens with Tana. We'll see what, ha- like, you know, Stetcher isn't, isn't out of the question yet either. He probably is, but he might come back. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, but a lot of it comes down to what they do with, with who they currently have. And if they do bring him in, if they do bring Ekman Larson in, that answers a lot of those questions. So there's, there's kind of two, two scenarios, you know, they either deal with it internally and make those moves and then Ekman Larson is out of the question or you bring Ekman Larson in and then that kind of solves a lot of problems for them. So like, yeah, I don't, I don't hate the trade no matter what the return is. Um, I think there's a lot of, I think there's some potential for, for a, a solid, sorry, there's a bug in front of me um, for a solid, you know, win-win trade but knowing knowing benning he he likes to overpay for for names like that so i i don't have too much faith in him personally all right well we love when chaos happens and hopefully if there is a trade it happens while we're live that'd be exciting but uh let's move on and we'll talk about the montreal canadians um carl osner was bought out and that i'm i'm happy with that i think that's pretty good news for them that was such a botch signing and you know Bergevin and the typical Bergevin fashion didn't wait. He threw all the money at Osner and this is the result. Uh, yeah, going to someone... be crazy in two years when it happens to Edmondson too. Yeah, I was just about, <laughs> to, make, I was just about to say the same thing. Um, yeah, I, look, it's a lesson um, that I thought he learned, but obviously he didn't with the recent signing. This is fine for Montreal. It doesn't really benefit them. doesn't help them that much financially, uh, at least this year, but uh, – we don't have to touch on the Alsner bio unless you guys have any thoughts on, on Carl Alsner. Um, do you think he goes, do you think he's done? Do you think he goes somewhere else? Uh, I have a hard time believing that there's going to be a lot of people lining up to take him. Uh, if he does go to somebody, I, I, I can see him being sort of a PTO type player, somebody that goes yeah. to camp in December or whenever NHL teams go back to camp. I could see him being one of those players, but I don't know that he really offers any, sort of positivity in terms of on ice production for a team at this point in his career. I likely think his NHL career here is probably done. Although uh, I know a lot of us thought the same thing for somebody like Kevin Shattenkirk, maybe a year ago, but you you know, somebody like Tampa Bay took a shot on him in a small role and he flourished perhaps Carl Alsner at less than a million bucks as a sixth or seventh defenseman is decent. Who knows? How old is he? My guess is I could just Google it. 30. I can Google it. I got it. Okay. You can He's 32 it. actually. Oh it's yeah. A lot younger yeah. than I thought. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I'd agree with Nick. Like, uh, wow. He's that's a lot younger than I thought. That's surprising. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't see, you know, he, he's the kind of player that, uh, especially after a buyout, I don't see him him going anywhere unless it's on kind of a, a last second um, addition. 
Yeah, the only thing with Alzner is he has the name appeal. He was a quote-unquote stay-at-home defenseman, tough guy defensively in Washington um, when they were, you know, Ovechkin and Salmon, all those guys in their prime. Um, that's not the biggest news out of Montreal. The biggest news out of Montreal is um, the Max Domi. This happened on draft day. Uh, Montreal sent Max Domi and a third-round pick for Josh Anderson. Um, last season, Max Domi had 17 goals, 27 assists in 71 games. Uh, Josh Anderson had one goal, three assists in 26 games. Um, from what we know, Anderson played the entire season or at least most of the season injured. Um, and then obviously after the trade, Domi did sign a two-year extension worth $5.3 uh, million. What are your thoughts on the trade? Um, uh, Luke, I want to start with you here. Wait, Anderson played most of the regular season in Columbus injured? Yeah, they disclosed that for a significant part of the season he was. Why? He did have ailing injuries. Um, I didn't know that. That's kind of weird. I don't know why you would do that. Um, I liked Anderson for Vancouver, so that's kind of tough to see. Um, but, like, I I don't know. Like, it's – and it's, it's kind of funny. It's pretty clear uh, the relationship Domi had in Montreal after coming to Columbus and then um, kind of immediately making things work. So – so we'll see. It's like, obviously, obviously from a, from a very objective standpoint, which I tend to have with, with Montreal and, and a team like Columbus, uh, that's kind of a tough trade to see. Um, Domi's a good player. Wait, what uh, do you what, mean you liked it? You liked Anderson for Vancouver? I was hoping Anderson might go to Vancouver. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I thought you were Especially with, okay. with, with Toffoli, um, probably on the way out. That was, I was kind of hoping, I think I said that in one of our shows actually, but all right. Yeah. So, who would you Go say ahead. won this? Who would you say won this deal? Who comes out on top here? Well, it's Columbus, but it's funny because Montreal maybe wouldn't have won it. Like uh, the weird way to say it, but if the deal hadn't happened, Montreal still might have lost it. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Keeping keeping Domi, I'm not sure was was the the best option either and Columbus probably knew that that's kind of why this happened I would assume so Montreal was in a tough position there definitely like just strictly for you know um um cost and return Montreal definitely didn't win but I think just in based on the situation they were in they didn't really have a choice uh they were probably going to lose no matter what what do you think Nick pretty big gamble for Montreal here obviously Josh with Josh Anderson you've got to calculate whether you think it was the injuries last year being the cause of the one goal in 26 games uh, or not, because obviously that's a pretty, pretty disappointing result for any player. He had 17 goals in 16, 17, 19 and 17, 18 and 27 goals in 2018, 19. So obviously you're banking on him returning to that form. And if he can get, you know, anywhere near that 25 goal range for Montreal, they're going to be very, very happy with the player they got. But I think at least still on the surface right now, Max Domi is the finished article, more of a better player than Josh Anderson is at least right now. But, you know, it's hard to say because we don't know what Josh Anderson Montreal is getting right now. He could be again, trending downwards suddenly or he could, it could have just been a blip and an off year for him. It's a gamble for Montreal. I don't know that they're in a position to gamble, especially Bergevin with his goal being to qualify for the playoffs every year. He's probably on with a bit of pressure 
to qualify for the playoffs next season. So I don't know that I like the timing of this gamble for them, but it is what it is at this point. If they can get him back to his old form, then this trade will be fine for them. But I still like this more for Columbus right now. Yeah, I think from all everything I've read, he was one of the most coveted RFAs and teams are willing to pay a lot for him. And I think that's why Montreal threw in that third round pick. Look, should you get more for Domi? Absolutely. Look, Domi's a year removed, two years removed from having a 72 point season. I think that was a bit uh, on the luckier side. He was shooting like 13%, but um, there was some, there were clearly some issues with, with Max Domi, maybe the, I don't want to say the person or the player, but there was something going on. And I think the writing was sort of on the wall. We saw, um, come playoffs, he was playing on the fourth line from the get-go. And I thought that was sort of weird from Julian, but I also think it's possible to be a skilled player and put on the fourth line, but still play well. He didn't play well at all. And I think the expectation for someone like Domi was to be the big, the game-breaking player, the one we saw at the World Juniors, um, however many years ago. But they should have gotten more for him. But the thing is, there was no room for him. And in the in the year impressor, Julian said, He's a top six center. He's a center on this team. He's, he's a fantastic center, but he also said that he's going to be playing the other three centers down the middle before him in, in Kakanyemi and Suzuki and Dano. So it doesn't make sense. There was no room for him on the right wing because he's not a right winger. And then on the left wing, if you have Drew Antetar, you're not going to force it. So I think it was good. You, you, if you look at it in a way that Montreal trade Gauchenyuk for Anderson, then it looks a lot better. Um, but no, I like Josh Anderson. He fills a need and, and players like that are a dying breed um, sort of, power forwards who also have a pretty decent upside. The only other one I can think of would be like Tom Wilson. And I do think Anderson's probably a little more skilled than Tom Wilson. So um, I like it. Uh, I'm going to reserve sort of declaring a winner or loser of the trade until I see what uh, Anderson signs for. I don't think think that'll be. Well, his projected numbers, I threw it in here uh, from evolving wild. They project Josh Anderson to sign a two-year deal worth around 2.65 million give or take. So uh, that's a decent bet yeah. of a salary. But then right now he's at that age right now. This is his last RFA contract. If he all of a sudden goes back to that old form, you've only got him two years on the cheap and he's going to be looking for a significant raise and yeah. he will, you will run the risk of him open hitting the open market. So yeah, again, I it's, a, it's a big gamble for Montreal. Yeah. And exactly. They can't really, afford to sign him long-term right now because you don't know what player you're getting. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to sign him long-term, but I'll, I'm also not comfortable with him only being there for two years, you know, one more shorter deal and then taking a bigger paycheck with, if he gets back to that form, I think four to five years, four to 5 million seems realistic. I think that's possible. I, um, from everything I've heard, Columbus sent all of the uh, doctor notes and everything. Apparently he's in hundred percent condition. So I, not worried about the injuries, but I do hope he can get back to that form. And I think, you know, putting him on, you know, the second line right winger with Drew and Suzuki, I don't see how he can't put up offense. And he's sort of a complimentary piece um, with some upside. So we'll see. The one thing I am curious about though, is Domi made a comment about the, his relationship with Claude Julian. How is he going to work with John Tortorella? Do you guys think that's going to be an awesome relationship and Tortorella loves the way the kind of player Domi is, or do you think that's going to go, uh, sour pretty quickly well we saw the way it worked out for max domi's world junior line mate anthony duclair in columbus uh didn't go so well 
it's going to be interesting because we know Max Domi's a battler and, you know, he probably is more of the type of player that John Tortorella likes. He's got a bit of bite to his game. He's not afraid of anything on the ice and he is pretty skilled at the end of the day. So I think he's the type of player that Tortorella admires, but you know, this isn't the first time we've heard attitude problem thrown around at Max Domi. So it's going to be interesting to see how the two gel at the very least. Yeah. I think like, obviously with, with Tortorella being who he is, um, you, you kind of, you kind of want to think, Oh, this might not go too well, but at the same time, like you guys have said, it could go extremely well. Like if they might, that, that might be a perfect fit. Um, so I don't know, like it's, it, I think only time will tell. I definitely wouldn't make assumptions yet. Um, that just what does it for, for Montreal. There's other rumors about them going into free agency and that's what we're all sort of looking forward to seeing what happens. But um, aside from the draft on, well, on draft day, Ottawa made a pretty significant move and that was uh, their trade with Pittsburgh. Rutherford did another move, uh, probably not a good one, but um, he sent John Gruden a second round pick for uh, Matt Murray. Nick, you called it. Um, we've talked about this endlessly. Um, they get they get their starter. Matt Murray's what 24? 26. Never mind. Twenty six. So what do you uh, what do you think of this? Do you like it? Again, like in some ways, similar with the Montreal trade, it's a calculated risk for Ottawa. Matt Murray, we said last week when we discussed him a lot on the show. He's had some really good years and he's had some really bad years in his four years in the NHL. Ottawa is hoping, obviously, in a no-pressure situation that he's going to be in next year, no expectation on him to perform or win. They're hoping he's going to you know, go back to that Stanley Cup winning form. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He is only 26 years old, and that is so, so rare to find available on the trade market or in free agency or anything like that not only like cup winning goalies, but at 26 years old, I don't think Ottawa paid that high of a price for this. Jonathan Gruden is an okay prospect, but given Ottawa's position right now, I don't think he was ever going to cut it for them. And a 52nd overall pick second round. Again, Ottawa had four of them and could afford to take some risks or move one of them. So I really, really like the price Ottawa paid here. Um, I don't think it's a lot. And I I'm still betting on Matt Murray. I think he can succeed. He's proven before he's a good goalie. And I think, I think overall, given the position Ottawa's in right now, this is a good chance for them to take. I think they're discussing contracts right now because Matt Murray is an RFA. Um, Reports yesterday said the teams are both sides are coming closer to a three-year contract extension, which I think is just fine as well. Uh, term wise. So we'll have to see what the money looks like, but I really, really like this one for Ottawa and I'm really happy they went with, through with it. Yeah. I like kind of a no brainer for Ottawa. Um, they're like, they're, they're in a perfect position to, to do this. And, and I think there's a, not to say there's a lot of worry around the league about or fans about Murray. Um, but I think, I think th- there should be a lot of confidence in him. Um, he's, kind of showed it with, uh, you know, 2016 and 2017. But um, I, as an, as an, if I were an Ottawa fan, I wouldn't have any um, hesitations about that deal at all. All right. The, let's, let's talk about some random news. Let's talk about not, not specific players, but um, prior to the draft, we saw NHL commissioner Gary Bettman come to the stage and, and 
obviously things are so up in the air for the most part, still given the entire pandemic, but um, the potential return date is as of right now is set for January um, 1st as a trade. Hang on. Minor and a retirement. Okay. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about the, let's talk about the return date. It's seen as, as, as January 1st. Um, that's under three months. Um, I don't know if they've talked much about the bubble. I have a feeling they might just do the whole travel thing, but just have fewer restrictions, but still restrictions. What do you guys think? Do you think this is realistic? Do you think it's fine? I don't, I don't see, it's not absurd. Um, I think December 1st was a bit crazy, but you can't really blame them for, for making that you know projection way back when. Uh, I think January 1st is a bit, uh, a bit early. I could see that slipping into February. I don't know what kind of troubles that would cause. Uh, you'd almost have to shorten the season because I, I, my understanding and it's kind of an assumption is that they want to start the 21-22 season on time. Is that uh, that's kind of what I understood in October? So October, mm-hmm. like a year from now. So that yeah, between now and a year from now, almost exactly, they want to complete a full you know, cycle season and off season. Um, and they're thinking, sorry, I'm just thinking out loud, but they're thinking of not even starting that for three months. I, I'm not sure that'll happen. So. But with the they, January 1st start date, would that still be a right? That wouldn't be any two games, would it? I, well, but I doubt it. I doubt, I, it. I doubt it too, but like they're, that's what they're talking about. It, so. It's going to be a massive battle between the NHL and the NHLPA because yeah. there's so much to consider revenue yeah. sharing, uh, player payment, what happens Next season is so up in the air, especially on the NHL side, but just as equally, it's so up in the air on the government side. We don't know yeah. where COVID-19 is going to take this world next. We It seems to change day by day what is going on in the world right now, especially in the United States. <laughs> Probably what happens <laughs> in terms of COVID there, a lot of it maybe hinges on the election coming up next month. Um, you know, there's a lot of balls up in the air right now. It's, it's pretty hectic times. I think things are going to be a lot clearer in probably mid November as to what is going on exactly. You know, there's also, you got to take the Canadian government into consideration. They have not been fans of bringing in, uh, American sports teams. And they rejected that same idea for the Toronto blue Jays to have all their MLB teams, uh, and opponents travel here to play them. I doubt they change that for the NHL because you're not just putting Toronto at risk. You're putting Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg at risk. So that goes back to our discussion last week. Does that lead to something like an all Canadian division? I, I think that right, pushed Nick. the start date back in general. There's so much that needs to be figured out here. I bet within, within the next month between now and November 8th, we hear some, relatively solid report that they're considering an all Canadian division. I don't see how they wouldn't. Uh, it, you know, it, it makes the most sense. I think the Canadian government and for good reason is going to be a big um, obstacle in, in making this happen. So I, I think you're right, Nick, about uh, a Canadian division. I think that might be the way to go for at least for how things stand now. All right. Um, it's it'll be it'll be crazy we know that but in some more yep um in some more i guess not depressing but kind of sad it's always sad when players retire but justin williams uh announced his retirement elliot friedman um tweeted a little thread there um 
Justin Williams played 39 years old, 1,200 NHL games, 797 points. Uh, awesome career, fantastic player, fantastic teammate. I don't usually have much to say uh, with regards to retirement, but good career. I wish him the best. I think this is probably the time to do it, given everything. Um, yeah. There were rumors that he might come back. He wanted to take some time to rest earlier this season, but never really officially announced if he was retiring or not. But um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think after, like, there were kind of rumors, speculations that this past season would be his last one. And then um, after the way it ended, people thinking, okay, you know, after after such a unfortunate end, he might go for one more. I was actually just reading or watching something like yesterday about that. But, you know, clearly he's made up his mind and that's probably for the best. Yeah, obviously, what more can you say about Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7, one of the... Uh, premier playoff performers of this entire generation and you know he had a great career and I I definitely did think he was going to give playing at least one more shot given how things ended last year and the craziness that this year's brought upon but who who knows honestly what uh, goes on behind the scenes because you know there's so much financial uncertainty right now and Perhaps the last thing Justin Williams wants to do right now at this stage of his life and career is throw himself into another uncertain position with everything that's up in the air about the NHL right now. So, um, you know, I can't say I didn't see this coming. So, Yeah, so we, we pull up for those uh, watching live, there's the sort of the his note that Elliot Freeman posted. I don't usually have a lot to say in terms of retirement. It's always like I just aside from wishing the players the best and stuff like that. Um, minor, minor, minor trade was just announced, and that was uh, Cliff Pooh, former Kingston Frontenacs, um, right winger. Columbus acquired him from uh, Marcus Nudevara, who's a defenseman. I don't know much about uh, Marcus Nudevara, but Cliff Pooh, I watched him in, in Kingston as the France. Uh, it's his third NHL team, and he's never played an NHL game, so maybe he Is gets that opportunity. Is his third or his fourth? I thought... He was drafted by Buffalo, but never played professionally. Drafted by Buffalo, traded to Carolina. Florida, now Columbus. Oh, maybe it's his fourth then, right? right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, 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 fourth team, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Cliff Poo just doesn't seem like he's been able to get it together at the professional level. Obviously, disappointing AHL numbers. He spent a bunch of his time in the ECHL. I like Nudavar as a player. I think he's an okay depth defenseman. And, you know, this is probably the first of many instances we're going to see the relationship between Bill Zito, the new GM of the Florida Panthers, and Yarmo Kekalainen in Columbus, where he used to work. I think we're going to see a lot more maybe minor transactions between the two going forward because, you know, obviously this is Bill Zito having a familiarity with the player and wanting to bring him into Florida. So it's interesting uh, that he keeps moving Cliff Pooh. It's interesting that he mm, keeps moving. I I don't know. Like he's still an asset, which is weird. Yeah. He's never really shown I I think there's still potential there. Um, I remember watching him in Kingston like live and he was always, he was always, pretty exciting and decent shooter like there wasn't really anything to his game that I don't know some some players just don't don't always work out but looking at his numbers he had what 86 points for London Knights in in uh 2016 um 45 the following season but only with almost half as many games played like seems a little strange to me um but I don't know hopefully he can figure it out and you know Columbus Columbus is a, a underrated in, as far as the skilled teams go. And I think maybe we'll get the opportunity there, but um, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about Jesse Pulviarvi 
he uh, yeah. he's back at him. He's Pulley Harvey as uh, um, we got to take revoke his access. Anyway, two years extension with the Edmonton Oilers, uh, worth one point one seven five million um, average. Can he? Can he figure his stuff out? Um, is the question. I didn't write that. I didn't write that. I wrote that. <laughs> that I'll admit that was uh, uh, if anybody's wondering why we're laughing, just, uh, it's we're a no bunch of funny guys. We're, we're, we're a bunch of funny guys. We're a bunch of jokers. Um, that was me that wrote that. But uh, you know, I actually did a school project on Yesse Poliarvi this year, and you know, exploring the relationship between him and the Oilers and a timeline of sort of what's gone on there. You know, obviously you're hoping the best for him because he's a former fourth overall pick and the potential has always, always been there for Yesse Pugliarvi. And, you know, I think he's just a casualty of the Edmonton Oilers rushing their retool, rebuild at the wrong time and trying to push Pugliarvi into the NHL when perhaps he wasn't ready. And he's definitely struggled along the way. You know, his NHL numbers aren't great. He's only got 17 goals and 20 assists and 137 NHL games. And that's pretty weak when you look at some of the other players that have been, that were drafted around when he was, and it's definitely not worked out the way it was supposed to for Pulley RV and Edmonton so far, but he had some really promising numbers in Carpot. I put here uh, 24 goals, 29 assists and 56 games in, in the Finnish elite league. And uh, that translates to an NHL E of 35 points. NHL E is conversion um of what points in another league have would be never in the seen NHL. that before that's yeah, really no, cool it's a really cool really cool stat um really cool bit of math there so you know that's 35 points a bit more on pace for uh production that you'd expect from a younger player like him he's still only 21 years old so he definitely has time to figure it out yeah, yeah. He... go ahead go ahead no you go ahead no, no luke i'm serious go ahead okay I'll, i think i'll go ahead here um <laughs> And I would, uh, I would agree with Nick. It's kind of funny. Edmonton, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they don't seem to be new to this, to an issue like this. Um, but the thing is like, I don't think it was ever a massive problem. It was a bit unfortunate how, how he kind of came about uh, in Edmonton. And I think, you know, what he's done over the past um over the past while has been exactly what he's, what he's needed. And then, and then they bring him back on an appropriate deal and, and he's clearly going to get another shot. So I don't have too much to say on it. I think, I think it was, uh, the problem was a bit blown out of proportion. Like Nick said, he's, he's still very young. So um, I, it's, it's good to see him that he's going to be back and he's going to be getting another shot because he never should have been a write-off in the first place, in my opinion. Yeah, I can talk endlessly about uh, an organization that rushes prospects and then uh, completely ruins them after. But uh, look, the the discussion with Paul Biarbi, I remember when he was picked because at the time it was only later on and, and actually closer to draft day that Pierre-Luc Dubois started to move up because there were things in his game that people didn't like. And Paul Biarbi was like the complete winger. But the thing with Paul Biarbi is like they said he was really good at everything, but not really, really, really good at one thing. He was just consistent all the way through. And I think expectations for Pulviarvi were a little bit too high going into the draft. After the draft, him being able to step in. He's still a fantastic hockey player. He has all the tools. But I think the key is to really be patient with him here because look, you don't want to <clears throat> you don't want to mess it up. You need more wingers. You're so you're you're set with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Get some help on the wing. And 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 if you want to win, you have to start 
investing in your youth and investing in, in the younger players and hopefully he can get that figured out. Um, I didn't think he was actually going to go back to Edmonton. I thought another team would pick, would have picked him up for cheap. I thought um, that's actually the last thing I saw happening was Edmonton circling back. But again, different GM, different ownership, and maybe their, their mindset will be a little bit different uh, when they come back to that. All right. I'm going to hand everything over to Nick because we have a little uh, UFA, RFA segment, I guess you can call it, um, because it's on it's free agency eve and um, tomorrow is going to be crazy or expected to be crazy. So, Nick, I'll uh, let you take it away. Yeah, well, first off, happy silly season, everybody, because this is the uh, <laughs> I, th- I think it's the most entertaining time of the NHL year with some of the stuff that goes on. Uh, obviously, this is usually July 1st, Canada Day, and we'd be teeing all this up. But, you know, times are uh, times are different right now. Lots and lots and lots of stuff, again, up in the air with the NHL right now. We've talked about it last week, uh, the financial insecurity that so many teams have right now and the uncertainty of the future of hockey in the flat cap era. And so many teams are going to be thrusted into making decisions that they probably wouldn't have made uh, given the trajectory of the salary cap and what it was projected to reach um, last year. So, Lots of unqualified RFAs. I think a lot more notable ones than we're all used to seeing. And I think that's the first sign of the changing times right now in the flat cap era. Um, I'll go through some of them here. And if you guys have any thoughts on them, uh, Dominic Cahoon, obviously uh, he was released in Buffalo, was a solid player in his rookie year in Chicago, got traded to Pittsburgh for Olimata. Didn't work out there. Cahoon now went to Buffalo and he's been released Sounds to me like the Edmonton Oilers are going to be a fit there. Leon Dreisaitl did try to convince him to come to Edmonton from Germany when he did come over. Pat, uh, do you know anything about Dominic Cahoon? Any thoughts on Dominic Cahoon as a player? I don't know why. Um, so, Pitt, wait, Buffalo just didn't qualify him? If I'm did not qualify him. He was an RFA I, and he's now a UFA. Again, Buffalo takes Jack Quinn at eight and then they do this. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I understand. Really dumb. Like, it, why would why wouldn't you qualify a player like especially that? Buffalo? <clears throat> yeah, you're you're 25. Um, not you, Dominic Cahoon, guys. He's 25. I'm and 21. He's 5'11. I don't know. He he's he can he's versatile. He can play center on the wing. He had 27 points in in 50 games for Pittsburgh. Or, uh, sorry, Pittsburgh the year prior. Only four points uh, in his six games in Buffalo. Like, I don't, why wouldn't you? I don't see why he they. He was pretty play. sick at the Olympics. Yeah, and it, it doesn't make sense. But if there's the German connection with with Drysdale, I think Buffalo should be all over that. I think a lot of teams should be all over yeah, that. Yeah, I like. Um, yeah, <clears throat> relatively young, and I don't think he'd cost too much money against the cap. I, I it seems weird for Buffalo to just not qualify him, or if they didn't want him, qualify him and and, and get a pick for him because players would give up someone something for Dominic Cahoon. So uh, I don't understand that at all. <clears throat> I I agree. I. I, um, I, I like him as a player. There's no reason really not to like him as a player um, in terms of what he can produce. If Vancouver didn't have uh, a massive surplus of centers, I would, I would look at that. And maybe even I would still look at Vancouver to pick him up. Um, I, yeah, I think a lot of teams should and probably will be, be all over that. There's no reason, there's no reason not, to, not to qualify him. I don't yeah, I think these that. depth wingers are sort of going to be the players that don't get as much money on the market that they normally would because of the uncertainty of the league right now. And I, So I don't think Dominic Cahoon is going to cost anybody very much. So this is definitely the type of player to me that look for him to sign for a million bucks or something somewhere. And all of a sudden, 
you know, have sort of maybe a 40 point season or a 40 point pace across an 82 game season. Like he definitely has that upside right now. He's only 25, only played a couple of years in the NHL and he's posted decent results. So, you know, it's again, one that doesn't make too much sense for Buffalo. Mark Jankowski, Calgary Flames, another one, another player, a high pick, not that long ago, or I guess it was pretty long ago now, but uh, it only feels like he just got to the NHL. He's been around a couple of years now, posted a couple of decent seasons with uh, a higher shooting percentage, but he definitely cooled off this year. Uh, probably could have fit in Calgary, at least in the bottom six. Again, probably one that doesn't, I, I don't understand the thinking on this one too much. Cause I don't know that they have much coming immediately. Pat, any thoughts on Mark Jankowski? I, if I basically, basically be reiterating exactly what you said, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I, and this is sort of a theme, especially this season, we've seen a lot of teams not qualify players uh, for the purpose of not wanting to get rid of them. But I don't think, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying you guys, but sometimes people get mad at teams for qualifying players. Like, well, if you can still qualify someone and then flip them for a pick, flip them for a, a fourth, like there were players at Montreal qualified that people didn't agree with, but the whole point of qualifying them is you can still get rid of them later instead of just letting them walk. And I'm not sure I understand um the rationale behind just letting letting people walk look i don't know enough about mark jankowski i know he's probably a solid third or fourth line center but uh again that's basically it yeah i um i understand this one slightly more than the um than the buffalo situation but still i i don't think i, I do think calgary is in a position to to to, to make a move like that. And like Pat said, you're not, you're hardly really committing to anything. So this one, and I feel like we're going to get into a bit of a theme here with the, uh, with the rest of the players on this list. This one doesn't really make sense either. So, yeah. All right. I'll go through a couple of them quickly here just to name them off. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on them. Uh, Devin Shore from Columbus, Mirko Mueller from New Jersey, Nick Cousins in Vegas, Travis Boyd in Washington. All Nick, sort of we can talk players. about Nick Cousins for a second. Yeah, they're, they're all sort of depth players that I think should at least find a home somewhere. Pat, you well, watched Nick Cousins a bit this year? Um, I, I was frustrated with Nick Cousins' usage, but Nick Cousins' analytics are pretty good, actually. He's pretty solid defensively. He's, he's basically a non-liability, and when he's playing on the bottom six, he's extremely useful. We saw it in Arizona. Um, he was probably played out, out of his element a little bit too much in Montreal, but I'm surprised because he looked pretty good in Vegas and he filled the need some, some second, not, I don't want to say secondary scoring, but um, excellent value uh, on the third or fourth line. And, you know, unless there, he wasn't getting a lot, a lot of money anyway, I think it was like just under 2 million. So um, again, it's the only thing you can say for a lot of like not getting qualifying offers, the, the big one, and we can talk about these two and that's Troy Stetcher and Anthony Declare. Those are the ones that, sort of stick out and we'll start with Troy Stetcher, Luke, because I know you wanted to get some notes uh, there. If you guys want to talk about him, we can. So yeah, sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, here, let me, let me just read off what uh, Luke referred to it. He is a uh, Vancouver top pairing elite defenseman, Troy, big fella Stetcher. Would yeah. That be, so it, be uh, it doesn't really make sense. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I, I love Troy Stetcher. I, he's a, he's an awesome um fun to watch he's he just he puts everything on the ice emotionally if he leaves and i'll get to that in a second on the if if he leaves i'll be upset business wise it like it it makes sense he's not not qualifying him isn't isn't a bad move by uh 
by Canucks management might not be a good move, but it's not like it's not as questionable as some of the other ones. Uh, I think Canucks fans, because I think they all agree with me, you know, liking Troy Stetcher, they'll probably make it seem like a bad move. But Vancouver, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson involved or not, Vancouver is going to make some moves on the defense. Uh, they have to. And I think um, Stetcher has made it very, 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 very clear, probably too clear for his own uh, bargaining power, how much he wants to stay in Vancouver. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if he still, if he still does come back. Well, he is from BC, right? So he's probably uh, yeah, been Vancouver he's, yeah, he's whole from life. Richmond. Um, so he's, and I kind of like it about him. Like he's, he, he just loves playing in Vancouver. So uh, I like I, I want the best for him, and if that's not in Vancouver, then so be it. But I would not be surprised if he does come back. Um, but that being said, losing Troy Stetcher uh, <clears throat> cap wise and um, defense wise, it's a uh, it's a pretty fixable, a pretty replaceable um, hole in your in your defense. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Stetcher. There was one more player I wanted to get to before the big fish. Let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu in Edmonton. That was another pretty interesting one to me. Brought in by Ken Holland, who obviously would have drafted and nurtured him in the Detroit system. Looked to be a pretty decent pickup at the deadline. Obviously didn't get the amount of game time we all expected he would in Edmonton didn't really work out, but I at least thought Edmonton was going to take a flyer on him, try him out for next year and see how it went, but he's going to be a UFA. Obviously his speed is some of the best we see in the NHL. Pat, what's up with Andreas Athanasiu? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Was he injured shortly after being yes. uh, acquired yes, by was. Edmonton? That's the only sort of rationale I can think of. For, maybe there's some underlying issues there, but I don't know you, what they gave up, what a second or a third for him. Um, I believe it was a relatively high pick. And if you're giving up a pick that high, you don't even get, you get nine games of him. And obviously he didn't play in the playoffs or no, he only played four games in the playoffs. Excuse me. Um, why, I don't know why you wouldn't. And I theme for all the other uh, qualifying offers. I don't know why they wouldn't with him because. I think his QO um, number was a little on the high side, but still just at least for one year. I'm not mm. sure. Yeah, yeah. That would be just, a lot actually. <clears throat> Yeah. So um, unless the demand was too high, I'm not too sure, but um, I don't see why, uh, why he, they wouldn't bring him back. It's not like they're, they're not pressed up against the cap by any means. And I think that'd be a good fit with Edmonton. So this is another guy though. Um, yeah. And Nick makes a good point there. Just, just because they don't, they don't qualify him. I, I that, that makes total sense. Like based on the numbers he's put up, um, not just with Edmonton in that small sample size, but he had that, that one really solid season, but I, I don't know what the math is. What would his qualifying offer be on, on 3 million? I, I think it was coming up on 3 million or so. I, I wouldn't give that to him anyway. Um, so again, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he stays in Edmonton. Uh, I, I think that's a, a smart move uh, and not a very, you know, finalizing move not to qualify him. I think that's a smart move by Edmonton. Um, and uh, I, I think, I you know, I'll, I'll stick with I wouldn't be surprised if he stays. I don't know if I think he will. But. 
could be a sneaky pickup maybe for somebody uh, in the free agent market, I think maybe a cup contender or perhaps somebody again in a position like Detroit, maybe some of those bottom feeder teams that can afford to give them a bit more ice time. Pat, do you think they take a swing on somebody like AA? Yeah. Why not? I, I have you know, reason as to why they wouldn't. He had what? 55. He had a really, yeah, it was the 2018 campaign, 30 goals, uh, 16 and 18 prior, I think under if a full season playing with the right talent, I don't see why you can't. And, you know, if someone can put up 15 to 30 goals a season, 3 million, why not? And when you're that fast, those players are hard to come by. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Now maybe the biggest shock of the RFA class this year, Anthony Duclair has not been qualified by the Ottawa senators and by all indications, it looks like he's going to be testing the open market tomorrow I'll get into my thoughts maybe after Luke, you surprised to see Anthony Duclair walk away from the senators. Yeah. And I kind of want to see him in Vancouver, but um, I'll leave that out of it. I uh, it's kind of interesting management from Ottawa, which uh, that seems to be a recurring theme. Um, I don't uh, like, like all these, all these RFAs. I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, try to come to another solution with him. Um, really solid player. I, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Probably this is, I think we'd agree. This is the most interesting RFA case this year. Um, he, he had a, did he have a career year close to? Yeah. Yeah. He would have. Yeah, yeah. So um, wherever he ends up, that's a, that's a solid pickup. This isn't, this isn't like an RFA where it's like, yeah, you know, we'll see. He might be a nice addition somewhere. This is, this is a good player. This is going to be a very good pickup for wherever he ends up. Interesting move by Ottawa. Uh, unexpected move by Ottawa. And like I kind of started this kind of poor management that, that this is, uh, this is the, 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 fi- the final step in what happens with Duclair. Pat, thoughts on Anthony Duclair? Um, 40 points, 23 goals, the, the famous hat trick against John Tortorella uh, earlier this season. He was someone I wanted Montreal to take a look at after the whole failed Columbus experiment before Ottawa got him. Um, again, another one of those speedy players. There are definitely some inconsistencies and some flaws in his game that goes without saying. And I think that's pretty well known at this point. Um, I, the only thing I can think of is maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's an attitude issue. Maybe there's a, a rift in the room or with Dorian. Cause I don't understand. We can talk about Dominic Cahoon and those other players, but this is really a special case. And I'm not sure why someone who can put up 23 points, someone who can, who can be a pretty ex- exciting player, uh, pretty creative, dynamic player, uh, 40 points, why they wouldn't do that. So um, maybe there's something we don't know. And I know there are times when, we start, we are quick to react and maybe something will leak later on that there was an issue, but that's the only thing. But if there is no issue and they just opted not to do it, I think that'd be incredibly stupid of them and, and someone who played so well in Ottawa to let him go. I don't know. I'm sure you're the sense fan. So I'm sure you yeah, have more. Obviously there's some interesting circumstances surrounding this one. Cause his qualifying offer wasn't a very high number either. They only had to qualify him a $1.65 million offer, which is, makes this even more confusing, but Anthony Duclair does have arbitration rights. He is 25 years old and, you know, 
that last season was the first season since his breakout year in 2016, 17 with the Arizona coyotes before he massively cooled off that he really looked to hit those highs again. Obviously, Anthony Duclair, Patrick, you got to see him come up against the Habs a bunch of times this year. Very exciting with the puck. He's all speed, all skill. Obviously, there are some defensive issues to his game. He is very much a liability in his own end. But at the same time, I don't think that's reason enough to altogether cut him from the team. And maybe he could have been nurtured a bit uh, with some more offensive talent surrounding him, maybe put less pressure on him to produce like that. But, you know, maybe this is a case of the Senators being afraid to take Anthony Duclair to arbitration because the average arbitration case was settled for around a four and a half million dollar average last season. Anthony Duclair did have 23 goals this year, but 21 of those goals came before Christmas. And, you know, the NHL season was not put on pause and the Senators didn't play their last game all the way until March 11th. So in that two and a half month window, he only scored two goals. Obviously that that's a pretty big red flag, but again, he was their leading scorer last year. And at least again, on paper, this doesn't look good for the organization. It was my understanding that he actually wasn't, he went in there representing himself. Is, is yes. That, so that's the that's sort of the what sparked most of the discussion is he didn't have an agent to represent him, and maybe negotiations sort of went awry when he didn't have an agent to actually do the negotiating, figure out a deal that would work for both him and the team. So again, we talked about if there could have been a rift, if there could have been a, a problem before. I think it also could be to not having an agent and representing yourself. You need to have an agent, especially if you're if you're going to be an RFA. So yeah, and you know it. That's the unfortunate part in all this, because this is a contract that ultimately should be getting done. You know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to jump up here and say I was on the team of let's sign Anthony Duclair to a massive extension, pay him all the money, give him a big load of term. I was definitely more on the fence with this one more than any of the other Suns RFAs. I would have probably been happy with a two or three year term, you know, with capping out at like four million dollars just based on the inconsistency of his play. And the, you know, only one good year that he's produced for the Senators. So obviously there's a lot of circumstances surrounding this one. But again, you know, we t- <laughs> too often we have to talk about the bad looks for the Ottawa Senators organization. And it's really unfortunate given the positives of bringing in Jake Sanderson, Timmy Stutzla and Matt Murray in one weekend. And then it all ends with letting go of Anthony Duclair. It just looks really bad for the team. I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on Duclair and Ottawa. No. Alrighty. We'll move into some more free agent talk. Then Uh, let's move over to the UFAs. Again, this is the silliest time of the year. This is when we see all the bad contracts handed out, but there are some pretty notable talents available on the market this year, bit more than there usually are, especially when it comes to goaltenders. This is very much the year of the goaltender on the market, whether it be through trade or free agency. We've obviously seen Matt Murray dealt to the Senators this week. Dubnik dealt to the Sharks. Marc-Andre Fleury looks like he's going to be on his way out of Vegas soon, but that doesn't take away from the UFA crop of goaltenders. We're going to go through them here, and uh, I'll let you two figure out where you think the best landing spot for these players are. We're going to start with the king of Broadway, Henrik Lundqvist. We talked to him about him a bit last week. Maybe this one will go a bit quicker. Patrick, where do you see Hank landing? 
Um, exactly where I predicted he would land, and it looks like that might be the case, and that is the Washington Capitals. Um, obviously, um, Sam Sonov is going to be the starter, and, and Holtby's most likely – I think we know Holtby's going to test the market. And I think – I don't think Henrik Lundqvist – is done. I think he can still play. And I think he can be a serviceable back, serviceable backup. And he's the one we talk about as um, probably one of the greatest player, one of the greatest players to never win a cup. And I think Washington can still contend. Ovechkin's still good. He wants to be on a winning team. He wants to be in a big market uh, that I think that makes perfect sense. So I'll say, uh, I'll say Washington. Luke. Yeah. And I'll agree because that's kind of what's been um, um, speculating the past few days, I think. And I think it's going to come down to what, uh, uh, what kind of role Lundqvist wants to play, whether, you know, if he wants to win and he's okay playing, playing uh, backup minutes, then Washington's a great fit. If he wants to start, which I, I doubt he really uh, would push too hard for that, then maybe not because like Pat said, uh, they've got a starter in Washington, but um, all signs are pointing to uh, Lundqvist being the capital. And I think that makes the most sense. I'm still going to stick to my guns and say he's a Chicago Blackhawk. Obviously, well, there's, some after, news, yeah. there's some news coming out, and I guess we can get into into Corey Crawford next. But, you know, Chicago going forward now, uh, Malcolm Subban may resign there, but that's going to give them three pretty young goalies in Subban, Delia, and Lankinen. I think they're going to look for a veteran option to come in. Who better than Henrik Lundqvist? I mean, the jerseys are going to sell themselves it's going to attract a lot of fans to Chicago, put more eyes on them. It's a big market. I still think it makes a lot of sense. Let's get into the guy we just talked about, Corey Crawford, not heading back to Chicago. That was confirmed today by GM Stan Bowman. He's going to test the open market. Luke, what are the more underrated players of this generation? Where do you see Corey Crawford landing? Obviously, I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about this, but I wouldn't hate um, – 10 years ago, I would have hated this. I wouldn't hate if he went to Vancouver. Uh, I think, and that's going to come up a bit, um, these free agent goalies going to Vancouver. I think uh, it looks like Vancouver is going with Demko, which I'm fine with. But if they are, they're going to need that that buffer. They, they could run Demko this year and maybe be fine. But I think most would say they're going to need a bit of a buffer um, one, two years. And a guy like Crawford... You know, like you said, um, underrated. I would agree with that to an extent. Crawford's for sure one of the best goalies of the past decade. Uh, he's getting up there in age, but, you know, as goalies do, that's a that's a different cause for concern than uh, if you're comparing them to players. If, um, if Vancouver signs him for one, two years, um, I, yeah, I wouldn't be against that. It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that would potentially factor into their cap situation. Hopefully no stupid decisions, but um, just from a team standpoint, like I keep saying, Vancouver is going to need someone um, in the same kind of ballpark as uh, Corey Crawford. Patrick. Um, I have the Carolina hurricanes. Uh, I have actually, I have for Holtby, I have Chicago, so it's a little bit backwards, but for, uh, for Corey Crawford. Yeah. I think, I think Carolina makes a lot of sense. They, they have cap space to work with and they don't have a, the only notable UFAs they have this year are Sammy Vatnin and Trevor Van, Van Riemsdyk. Um, the only significant uh, or the bigger one they'll have to sign uh, as in 2021, as Dougie Hamilton, but 
I think it makes sense. He, uh, Corey Crawford's 35. He wouldn't sign a long-term deal. And, you know, they have about $8 million to work with at the moment. Um, I think that makes sense for the Carolina Hurricanes, given the lack of solid goaltenders they have. I'm going to say the Colorado Avalanche for me. It looks like they're going to look look to try and make an addition there with the Grubauer and Franzou tandem. They were both solid in the regular season last year, but they have had a lot of critics given the early playoff exit, and they both were injured at that time as well. But I think the pedigree that Crawford carries, the two Stanley Cups, I think it's something that Colorado is going to look like. They've got the cap space. Looks like they're going to weaponize it. So I can see them taking a punt on Corey Crawford. Let's go to one of the surprises and stories of the year, Anton Hudobin in Dallas. Pretty surprising that he's going to hit the open market. You know, I think everybody was hoping there would be some sort of a resolution in Dallas, given his play down the stretch there, but it looks like he is going to test the open market. Patrick, I'll throw it to you. Um, I also put, yeah, I also put Carolina, assuming Crawford doesn't. I think Carolina, no, I'm not not saying they're going to get both, but I'm saying if you were to. I think all these goalies are actually going to go to Carolina. I think if you were to separate them all and think where's a good destination for this specific player instead of stacking them all up, I think that makes sense. Um, I don't know who wouldn't want to play in Carolina at the moment, given how well they draft, given the talent they have for their lineup offensively and defensively. Defensively, The thing they're really missing is the goaltending, and um, Kudobin wants to win. I don't see why he wouldn't go to uh, Carolina. Not with Corey Crawford, obviously. Obviously. Um, (laughs) Minnesota. Uh, one, two years, um, a short-term deal to Minnesota, I could see working. Like I talked about um, a bit ago with Salok, good goalie, but I wouldn't want to be starting him quite yet. Uh, he might never start. Like he's, 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 not, he's not like that guaranteed projected. Um, he just needs a few more years until starting. Uh, good goalie, but I think if, um, if Kudobin can come in, and just like in Vancouver, be that be that buffer until you kind of see what you have with uh, with your other options. I, I think that makes sense. And again, short term, uh, like I think most goalies should be anyways. But uh, short term in Minnesota is what I would say. All right, I, I'm still gonna stay. Say he ends up back in Dallas. I think they're gonna come to some sort of an agreement there. I think the amount of goalies that there are on the market. I don't know that anybody's going to be risking everything to pay a goalie like Hudobin who had one great miracle run last year. And I think his luck may quickly dry up on the market. So I'm going to go ahead and boldly predict he ends up back in Dallas next year. Uh, We'll move on then. Braden Holtby, big fish. We thought at least heading into the beginning of last season had a terrible, terrible contract year. The worst year of his career. Terrible timing for him because it looked like he was in line for one of those massive goalie contracts that we were seeing handed out last summer, past couple of years. Not going to get that now in the new cap world. But Luke, where can you see Braden Holtby landing this offseason? Well, I think, um, and I'll circle back to this a few times. I think Calgary, I think the province of uh, Alberta, is going to be a landing spot is going to be pretty hot for, for goalie activity. This, uh, this off season, um, Calgary's got a bit more space than Edmonton. Regardless, both those teams, I think are going to make a move of some kind. I, I, 
I wouldn't be surprised if I see if I see Holtby on on either of those teams. You know, they're also they're also talking about Markstrom. Um, both those teams in line for Markstrom, but um, there's a lot of good options out there for Holtby, like you guys have already kind of talked about. But those two teams specifically, I think they have decent enough space, and I think they have the need for sure. Pat, I was going to say the Calgary Flames, but um, I could see Chicago as an option for Braden Hope. He might be someone who needs just like a change of scenery. He can play in a big market. I don't think he's completely washed up, and I think he has the ability to still play pretty well. I think he's, what, 31, 32, mm-hmm. um, so younger than Crawford. And um, Chicago isn't completely pressed for space. They have 11 mil with, um, obviously, Kajula, Strong, Kubelik, those are the ones that they have to resign. I do think someone else, I know they're going to try and move Brandon Saad. That seems to be the, the case, move on from $6 million. So if they can sign him to relatively cheap and still have enough to sign um, Kajula, Strong, and Kubelik, I think that'd be a good good move and a good fit for uh, Braden Holpe. I'm going to go off the board here a bit and say the Minnesota Wild are going to take a look at Braden Holpe. Bill Guerin obviously probably knows a bit about about Braden Holpe seeing him in Washington because he was with the Pittsburgh organization previously. So I think there is going to be a bit of a look in there. He knows what he's all about from all those playoff series. I think I like that move for him. Minnesota obviously just got rid of Devin Dubnik, and I think they're going to be looking for somebody to replicate his minutes, and I think Braden Holpe may be capable of that. They have a bit of cap space now in Minnesota for the first time in a long time, and, you know, we're still uncertain about the trajectory of the wild and what exactly they're trying to do there, but this could be a move that makes sense. Uh, Thomas Grice had a couple of strong years for the Islanders really helped turn stuff around there. Luke Thomas Grice. Um, I've kind of been hearing not necessarily rumors, but speculation about Vancouver. Uh, And I don't, I don't hate it, but like I keep saying, I, I think I think Grice should kind of deserve to go somewhere a bit more long term, um, a bit like a, a longer term situation than there would be in Vancouver. So to be honest, I don't really have I don't have a specific team for him. Um, I just I think wherever he goes, because a lot of these goalies, when you look at um, Lundqvist, Crawford. Uh, all these guys and a few more that we're going to get to, those are those are going to be more short, short-term positions. But I think Grice specifically, um, he he should, and I think uh, a team will pick him up more for a, a long-term position rather than rather than a, a buffer like like in Vancouver, for example. Patrick, I have him staying in New York. I think that's a good tandem. I think Grice is a good goalie, and he's on. Um, I don't know. I don't see why he wouldn't want to stay there considering how far they went this year. So I have him staying in New York. All right. Uh, I, I'll quickly go over mine. I think the familiar familiarity, sorry, of the metropolitan division is going to play in here. I think he's going to end up with the Washington capitals. I think he'll be a nice short-term buffer and replacement for Braden Holpe while they deal with some Sano's development, obviously just give him that one B option you know, Grice is probably good to play 40 games if Samsonov struggles a bit as the starter. And I think overall that would be a really, really good mix for the Capitals as, you know, Grice has proved to be a tandem, a good tandem goaltender. 
Uh, last goalie we'll go over uh, of particular interest for Mr. Luke Burroughs. So I'll start with you, Jacob Markstrom. Where's he going? Currently not Vancouver, which honestly makes sense. Um, that it sucks to see, but uh, signing like, and I'm, I'm treating him as if he's a UFA on the market that Vancouver obviously doesn't have a biased interest in. If Jacob Markstrom was on the market and he was just another candidate like all these other guys, I wouldn't want Vancouver to be interested in him. Uh, and I say that just because of their situation. Uh, Markstrom's a phenomenal goalie. I think he's kind of proven that, but don't think he's a fit in Vancouver. I have, uh, again, Edmonton and Calgary. They're both in that position, the same position with Holtby. Um, not necessarily young goalies, but younger. Uh, what's up, Pat? Uh, the Sens have just acquired Eric Goodbranson. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have fun. Great pickup. Great pickup. For what? Well done, Pierre Dorian. Um, let's see. Let me uh, pull this up here. That I'm sorry. He's sorry terrible. to interrupt, Luke. This might he be a terrible. cap dump. Um, Better hope so. Okay, fifth so the pick. Ottawa Senators, yeah, fifth round pick in 2021. Is there any salary retention on that? Um, what is he, what is he making? Uh, I believe it's 4 million. You know, when you started off with Ottawa centers acquired, I got really excited there and, oh boy. I, 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 good. Branson's another guy. I don't know why he's still an asset. Like he should not, he should not be moving. I I think, hold on. And yeah, 4 million. Hold on. Please Google this and tell me if I'm right. Eric Goodbranson's from Ottawa, right? Um, you got it, Pat. I got it. He is from Ottawa. Oh boy! Did he go to North Dakota? (laughs) Jeez! All right. Um, Oh, that's so bad. What? That's that's really bad. Why? I, Luke. Any thoughts from you on Eric Goodbranson? Because I'm sure you can teach me a couple of things. Not good. No, I I know that. So the fifth round pick is I, from Edmonton, 2021 fifth round pick. Anna, Anaheim had Edmonton, so maybe Edmonton has a bad year and it's an earlier fifth. I don't know. That, that'll be it's the decisive only, factor here, whether it's an early fifth or a late <laughs> fifth. It's only one year, one more year before he's a UFA. Yeah, like it, it's the player is like the, the contract, it's like it's probably irrelevant to Ottawa, um, but the player is just, it's funny that, that they, that's who they acquired. But why? I why they just why I don't understand. Why'd you let Borvietsky walk and then you bring in Good Branson? I don't understand that. And how many years does Zaitsev have left? Oh God, like, like I don't know, four or five. Like, don't even get me started on that. Let's let's pull up his some numbers here from Good Branson. They're just they're not good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I can't even talk more about this. I like, I, I hate Eric Branson. Like, I don't think he's good at all. I, Luke, as a Canucks fan, I'm sure there's been some painful times with you for good Branson. He's bounced around to so many different teams now. Uh, you know, just because he's not good at what he does. And you know, Ottawa's going to play him too much. I really don't understand this because Ottawa's got so many, so many defensemen in the mix now. I don't know if there's something in the works here, 
but they've got way too many defensemen vying for NHL spots here. So unless there's a second move coming, I, I don't know. It's Vancouver got like, uh, Tanner Pearson for him, which is pretty cool. I feel like cap dumps have gotten worse in the sense that you're supposed to get like an asset. And I don't know how much of an asset, not that a fifth isn't an asset, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe give Ottawa a little, like, it's also funny that Anaheim's in a position to need to do a cap dump. Like, that's that's sad. I, like, I would have, you know what? If you told me Ottawa was acquiring Eric Goodbranson with like a pick to Ottawa for like a cap dump, like I like that's what I originally thought when you said Ottawa brought in Goodbranson. I thought they were acquiring him like with something because somebody had to cap dump him. But like, no, like based on what this is, this is a straight transaction. Pierre Dorian said. Yo, I want Eric Branson. I the, Ottawa's not on the cap floor, or they, now they finally hit the cap. They hit the cap floor with this. That's it. They? We're on the we're on the cap floor now. Maybe that's it, and it's only one year. <laughs> it's not like Ottawa's. It's but here's the thing, like, and I'm not trying to. It's easy for me to say, but uh, Ottawa's not going to be good. They did not pressure no. them to be good next year. They hit the cap more year of Eric Branson. Not yeah, the worst thing. There's other players you could hit the cap for. With, yes, yes, that's fair. That's I'm just fair. trying to take a look here with Good Branson. What his um, actual cash earnings are going to be next year? Because that's usually um, a big thing for the Senators is players with a high cap hit, but they don't actually cost a lot in terms of cash. Um, I'm just trying to find it here. I can't find his cap friendly, but. I, I don't understand this move. Like, <laughs> I don't. Okay, here it is. I found Good Branson. I'm just trying to find his cap. Um, that's his contract. I don't know. You guys talk about something while I while I quickly read about this. Um, <laughs> well, let's I here. I'll pose. I'll, I was going to switch to uh, defensemen now that are on the market. Um, you know, maybe you guys can tell me where you think Tory Krug's going to go this offseason while I look this up. Uh, Boston I, Bruins. Because I don't um, think I, I think Petrangelo is out of the question for them. I don't really know if he was ever in question, but yeah, I said Detroit just because everything's pointing to Detroit and him taking a, a a lot of money, which I don't know why I wouldn't go to Detroit if I was Krug, but um, Petrangelo. Why? Well, why? Just I don't like Detroit. I wouldn't want to go there. Like the city. Like it's cool. It's a neat city, but I wouldn't want to. I don't know. Oh, I I, I I understand where you're coming from. But I'm in the NHL. I'll have a 10-team no-trade list. Uh, yeah, I think I he ends there. up in Detroit as well. I think that one makes uh, makes sense for Detroit, at least. They need to add a bit of cap to their team. And, um, you know, Tory Krug, Tory Krug's a good player. I don't know that he helps right now because I don't know how good Detroit is going to be over the next couple of years. Probably I, not very. Yeah, I don't expect the big climb up like Colorado had suddenly where they went from – a 40 point team to elite with Detroit. I don't expect that for them. Um, I think Boston is going to look elsewhere. So yeah, let's see. Uh, we've also got here on the list, Tyson Berry, former Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, obviously that one did not work out well to say the least. Patrick, where do you see Tyson Berry going this off season? Winnipeg Jets. Uh, they need help on defense. And I know he's not, I don't New Jersey or uh, Winnipeg already has a bunch of stay-at-home defensemen. Um, they've had failed experience with Joe Morrow and Nathan Beaulieu, and I think adding someone who can help 
uh, bolster their offense because he is an offensive defenseman. He sucks defensively, and that's well known. But um, I think he can help out their their right defense their right defense side. And you have Bufflin, who's not going to be there. Um, I think he would slide in quite nicely. I would like to say um, I've been hearing a lot about Barry to uh, Vancouver, and I don't hate it as much as other people say. If he if he doesn't get paid as much as he has been, and um, hopefully he kind of he kind of sees his worth. Although um, being an offensive defenseman, it's kind of tricky to do that. I wouldn't hate to see him in Vancouver, not for five and a half million. That's for sure. Um, though I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but all these, honestly, the list of free agent defensemen here are all kind of in question um, for the Canucks. But we'll see. Uh, I could also see the Edmonton Oilers if I'm not being biased, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just saw one that caught my attention. I think Boston would be interesting. I think it's the type of player that they would look at just to give them a bit of a kick on the back end, but that solely depends on if they don't land the big fish on the market, which we'll get to, um, or if they re-sign Tory Krug, I think uh, Barry would probably be naturally the third option on the market. So I can see that for the Bruins. Um, let's get into that big fish, Alex Petrangelo. We've talked to him about him a bit. This is probably more of us just reiterating where we think he's going to go. Luke, I'll start with you. Where do you see the King city native headed? Is that near you? That's pretty yes, cool. It is. You guys it's, are like neighbors. It's about 10 minutes away from me. Yeah. Um, I like if I, when I really think about it, I do think he's going to stay in St. Louis. And I think, um, like St. Louis a few weeks ago, they came out and said, you know what, go to free agency. We're, we're done talking to you right now. And uh, they kind of... They also said today that it looks like it's not going to happen. Didn't Freeman put that out today? What's not going to happen? That it's, that, it's, he's, that it's probably like... They have, they've had a really hard time like reaching agreement. Like a really hard time. Yeah. So, and, I, and I'm kind of wondering, is that, um, is that a tactic from St. Louis saying, you know what, go to free agency, see if you can get your money. But um, based on what people are kind of hearing about what he's asking... I don't know if he's going to get that Toronto might throw it at him. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but I do think a lot of the hype around him going to Toronto is just because, and I think I've said this like five times, it's just because it's Toronto. Uh, I doubt he'll actually go there uh, much to much to Leafs fans um, surprise probably. But if I had to guess, I would say he stays. Yeah. So just to, it was his preference. Initially his preference was to sign in St. Louis but negotiations need to pick up and actually sort of, they need to get somewhere and reach some sort of obviously an agreement, but like have some more productive talks. But um, well, I think, I think once he hits the market, it'll kind of, it'll become pretty clear pretty fast yeah. about how much teams think he's worth. Yeah. Uh, I, I it put, might surprise him. I, I put Toronto. I think if you're Toronto, why not throw money at him? He's what you need. Uh is exactly what they need. I know there's going to be a lot of changes to their defense. Um, Do you guys remember when they signed John Tavares and that was supposed to be the one that put them over the top and ensured <laughs> multiple Stanley Cups? Yeah. Well, no, this will do it. This will do <laughs> oh, it. Oh, yeah, this will definitely no, but, do it. This is, this is no, the final piece. This is the one. In all, in all seriousness, though, like Barry and CC are off the books. Uh, you have Lettinen coming in, and I think it, does, it makes sense. It makes too much sense for them to do it. Like Throw money at them get the signing and and move on from I don't know their lesser you know Kerfoot and Janssen aren't making a lot and you can clear space by getting rid of them um we know some people who 
have talked about trading Morgan. Riley. I know one person who actually wrote about trading Morgan Riley. Maybe that clears up space. I think there's plenty of options, and I don't think uh, I don't see why Dubas wouldn't. Um, seems to make sense. I'd be upset because Petrangelo is awesome, and I wouldn't want to see him in Toronto. But it, make, it makes too much sense for them to do that. You don't want him to be happy. Unfortunate. Not if he's happy, and who would be happy playing in Toronto anyway? Let's be real, guys. Uh, I I am still going to stick to my prediction that I've been saying. I think Boston is going to clear money, and I think they're going to be the ones to do it. I think it would be an excellent fit for them, and he wouldn't cost more. Probably I don't know one to two million more than Crew is likely to get. I so. just don't see. I don't see that being the solution Boston needs. I don't. I don't know why if they're. And it's not to say they have a defense problem, but I don't know why Boston would go out and do that. It just seems unnecessary. I think they can kind of address their, um, their defense questions from mostly from within. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. See, for, we'll for Boston, if we're still on defense, I had Vatanen or um, Shattenkirk potentially going to Boston. They'd be significantly cheaper. And they, I think Shattenkirk would be a good fit because Tampa's pressed up against the cap. Um, you see, I think Shattenkirk's more of the one that Toronto's going to look at. I think he would go for cheaper, uh, more of an offensive guy. And, you know, uh, I can feel the hockey men squirming right now, but that's what Kyle Dubas likes. Um, I can see him being a fit there. Luke, do you have one on Shattenkirk? I, I, don't I also see... put Vancouver for Shattenkirk, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, okay, hold on. Now that you've said that, Pat, give me one second. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. I honestly hadn't considered Shattenkirk as, um, as that big of a, big of a fish, I guess. Um, I wouldn't want him in Vancouver. No, thank you. Um, no, I like Shattenkirk and, um, Barry two, two, two guys I kind of thought shouldn't be. And just because of this year's UFA class, they are, kind of front and center, but um, I wouldn't, if I were a team that is looking to fill holes on their defense, I wouldn't be looking at either of those guys, unless obviously it was like a, a perfect fit um, for the types of, types of, you know, defensive style they play. But those two guys, I, I, I don't have an answer for Shattenkirk specifically, but um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be using them as, as uh, kind of your, your off-season move to address defense. If that. All right, as we move into sort of the last bit of the show, Patrick, did you have anything to say? No, just a, a report from 919 Sports. A radio station in Montreal said that I expected a two-year contract between 2.8 and 3.5 per season. Josh Anderson hopefully done in the next couple of days. Obviously just speculation, but what did we have as the expectation? 2.65, two years. So okay, that's there you go. in the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, let's go over some forwards quickly that are going to hit the market tomorrow. Uh, the first player here, maybe a report came out this afternoon that he's close to a contract already. Taylor Hall, the biggest UFA fish on the market, arguably this year. Hart Trophy winner just a couple of years ago. Patrick, why don't you take us through the report and maybe where you can see him going? Uh, well, okay. Darren Dreger said this morning that Montreal is one of the front runners of two other teams. But then I also saw a report that said um, that I don't know that it's not tampering, but they have been taught. He has yeah. been talking with Colorado. I ask how, how can, how can that deal already be like kind of in place? Okay. I have, I have the explanation here. One sec. Um, so base, apparently um, they've allowed a period before free agency um, 
open for teams to talk to pending UFAs. It used to be a week, but it's only a couple of days, but apparently that actually no longer exists. So that was, um, yeah, I guess the NHL released that no longer exists. So I guess that's not really an effect. Oh. So I'm not sure how much I trust that source. So um, I'm not going to quote that. I don't think that's actually a thing that was what someone else said, but I think that's an old rule that you could talk to free agents, but I think it makes sense for Taylor Hall. In All a traditional the are... year, there's a uh, window yes. to speak. Yes. Um, but he wants to sign a, a short-term deal. Colorado has all the space before they have to sign all of their big fish to long-term deals. And if he wants to win, I don't see why Colorado, why he wouldn't go to Colorado. I know Montreal's also been talked about and I would love it, but it doesn't really make sense because Montreal's not really in a position to win next year or the year after. So Colorado. That'd be really cool. I think um, I haven't put too much thought into that specifically, but I just think Taylor Hall going to Colorado, that would be awesome. Um, not, not even to say like that would be the, you know, the final piece that Colorado needs. They, they're, they're, a, you know, they're a fine uh, contending team as is, but add Taylor Hall to the mix that uh, that would be pretty exciting. Yeah. I, I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought Colorado on short term, short term was going to be an excellent move. Good fit for both sides. If he wants the cup, this is his place to get it. Um, obviously adding a player of his quality would do wonders for the avalanche. Um, depth wise. So I really like that fit. Uh, we'll go through some other ones quickly. Tyler to fully Luke. Uh, do you hope he ends up back in Vancouver? Cause uh, you know, your answer for a lot of stuff has been Vancouver today. No, he's yeah. Not this one though. He's not going to be. Um, I, I think, I think he, he's another guy that's made it pretty clear. He wants to stay, I guess Vancouver is just like an awesome place to play or something. Um, but I, I think it's just straight up. They don't have the money to, to sign up, which makes perfect sense. That's not a surprise that this happened. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know now that, that Jim Benning is at this position, why he's like, why he said for so long, yeah, no, we, we'd like to sign to Foley. And then when it actually gets to signing them, they're like, Oh wait, we don't have the money to do it. It's like, he just discovered that now, like, no, this was, you could have seen this coming. That being said, um, after, you know, a very short time with the Canucks, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to the Kings. Um, he's still, he's still, it's, it's not like he's, he's dropped off at all, right? Like he's still Tyler Toffoli. I also wouldn't be surprised if he goes to a team like Boston um, or now that uh, we just had the Taylor Hall discussion or Colorado, um, a very, very good uh supplementary piece and if if he does come in as a supplementary piece that is a a very high quality um addition to make so i don't know we'll see but i can almost guarantee he will not be back in vancouver patrick well that's all news to me because i thought the plan was for him to be back in vancouver that was, so no that was the plan that was the plan so i put vancouver and um I don't know. Jim Benning just seems like a weird guy and I don't understand what he's doing as a person, but uh, I'll keep it Vancouver because I still think there's a possibility he resigns. I seem to like him a lot. So uh, just for the sake of this, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick with Vancouver, I guess. Uh, I'm going to say, well, I was going to say Vancouver, obviously now given their situation, it's a bit more interesting. Uh, I'm going to say the Montreal Canadiens. I think they need a bit more depth on the wing. I, I would have definitely said the Montreal Canadiens before the Josh Anderson acquisition, but I don't know. It's not unlike Mark Bergevin to throw money uh, at a position he really doesn't need to fill out right now. 
So uh, I, I could see it. Um, we'll go quicker on these last ones because we've only got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, Bobby Ryan, I think he'd be an interesting depth acquisition for a lot of teams because he still brings some stuff. I'm going to go ahead and say he signs with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's from the Cherry Hill area. Patrick? Yeah, that was mine. I also had Philadelphia. Luke? I, I think um, depth seems as a good call. I don't, I don't think he's going to go to a, go to a, go to a young up and coming team. Um, sure. Philadelphia again, Boston, Colorado. Um, we'll see what Tampa does, but whoever it is, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a competing team. I, I'd assume. Ilya Kovalchuk, Patrick going back to Montreal. Uh, not that I know of from all reports. I don't think they're in a position to bring him back. And um I'm going to, I'll say he stays in Washington. Why not? Luke. I want to see him back in Montreal. I think that'd be cool. I, I don't know. I don't know the logistics around that. If they could make it happen, according to Patrick, they can't. But after his, um, after his time there, I think that'd be really cool. I, I, uh, I'd like to see that. I also thought he was going to end up back in Montreal, but you guys are throwing news in my face. <laughs> uh, I could, I could definitely see him uh, resigning in Washington obviously didn't seem like much of a fit there uh, going down, but obviously the pandemic really turned a lot of stuff sideways, but I could see Washington deciding to give him one more shot. Another decently big fish, Mikhail Granlund, former, like, I guess he was a first line center with the Minnesota wild for a bit, but cooled off after he was traded to the Nashville predators. Uh, This will be our last one. Luke Mikhail Granlund. I kind of, kind of the same thing. Uh, I'd maybe like to see him go back to Minnesota. Um, again, don't know, don't know what the, what the moves are in Minnesota. That initial trade um, a few years ago was very interesting. So if they can somehow bring, bring both pieces um, back, I, I wouldn't hate that. I, I don't know. Patrick. Um, I have three teams listed here. I have Florida in case they aren't able to resign any of uh, Dadanov or, or Dadanov or um, Mike Hoffman. I have the LA Kings. I think that'd be a fine option. They need could add another another winger. And then I also have Boston because on their uh, obviously they have DeBrusque under Marchand, but on the right side, if you if because I know he does play right wing as well. Um, after Pasnak, you have Kasha who has an injury history, and then Jack Sidnika. So why not adding uh, Mikael Granlin? I think that could help. He is a winger. You said center, I think, isn't he? Is he not a winger? He was a center for the Wild, but he was moved over to the wing to okay. accommodate the depth in uh, Nashville. I'm going to quickly say Florida Panthers. I think that one makes a lot of sense. So uh, they do have the space. But, uh, well, we've pretty much listed all the big UFAs here, and uh, I can almost guarantee that we'll get absolutely none of these right. So this was, uh, <laughs> this, as always, going to be a pointless exercise, but we'll see how uh, far from correct we all are. Yeah, this is uh, this was sort of more of a recap episode, recapping the draft, recapping the big trades that happened, and obviously free agency. It, free agency hits tomorrow, and uh, we'll be live tomorrow night from seven to eight p.m. to talk about all the big trades, where Ekman Larson will go, where Taylor Hall will go, where Petrangelo will go. It really will be an exciting day. Um, as that just about wraps it up here, I want to remind everyone who tuned into the show that it can be heard on Barnburner Radio Network and its 122 platforms. Check out all of it on Barnburner.ca for all the news and updates. You can follow me at Patrick Talon eighty one. Uh, Luke at the Luke, the Luke Burroughs and Nick at Nikos Robinson. Uh, that just about does it for us tonight. We'll see you tomorrow from 7 to 8. Take it easy.